series called Life Together about community and discipleship and just how um, the church is together and not separate. So let's pray, and then we can get into the, the message. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time, for this family you've brought together, that you've rescued us out of uh, sin and death and the world and brought us together to be your body and to be in relationship with you and one another. Uh, we just seek your presence this morning as we hear from your word and uh, what it can teach us um, about loving each other and being in community and being together. So we love you, we thank you, and we just ask that you bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you guys are aware, have you guys heard about the Adams Family at all? And then they, they yeah, there you go. They recently redid it. It's called Wednesday. I think it was on Netflix, and it's about the daughter of the family. Um, it's an odd family, the Adams Family. It's comical. It has a touch of horror, but it's done in a non-serious or graphic way. Um, but there's a character on the show named Finn. You guys remember him? If you could put up the picture. Yeah, there he is. Remember Thing? Um, Thing is a disembodied hand that runs around and helps the family. It's able to understand people, even though it doesn't have ears. It can uh, see, even though it doesn't have eyes. It can think, even though it doesn't have a brain. And uh, Thing communicates by motioning with its hand, which is the whole body. The hand is its whole body. So when normal people see Thing in the show, they freak out. They, they're scared, they're confused, they're baffled at what they're seeing. A hand entirely separated from the body shouldn't be alive and is not normal on any level. level. Um, so that's a normal response. However, sometimes as Christians, we live. We live like Thing. We live as a detached member from the body, the church, the body of Christ. Sometimes we're detached, we're doing our own thing, and it's kind of ab abnormal. Like thing, we roam around like a disembodied member, which cannot live into its full purpose because it's not connected to the other members of the body. So today we're going to be looking into what the Bible teaches about the body of Christ, the church, specifically the members of the church, and hopefully it's not like thing. So, um, so in first, if you want to get your Bibles out in First Corinthians or on your phone or the, the passages should be on the screen. We're going to go through 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. Um, I'm going to stop. I'm going to read parts of it, stop, and make some points along the way. Um, but just some background um, as you guys are finding the, the passage. Um, what's going on in the Church of Corinthians or Cor Corinth? It's in uh, Greece, I believe. Um, there's divisions in this church. There's lawsuits between believers. They're taking each other to court. There's sexual immorality, there's arrogance with spiritual gifts, and uh, with the Lord's Supper, there's selfishness, they're abusing the Lord's Supper. There's all this chaos going on in this church. The church is living in a fleshly manner at the time of Paul's writing, and he's writing to call out and correct the fleshly behavior. The believers in the Corinthian church, they're members of the body, but they're living and treating each other as separate with no care for each other. So the stronger members, they're taking advantage of the weaker members. There's chaos, arrogance, selfishness, like I mentioned during the worship service. Um, though the members are one body of believers, they're still identifying and operating as selfish individuals. And Paul writes to educate them, instruct them, and rebuke and encourage them in Christ's likeness. And he's doing, doing the same 
We might not be the same kind of church as Corinth, but that's the, the backdrop of why he's writing to them. Um, and so we can still learn, obviously, from God's word. So it says in 1 Corinthians 1, just for some more context, 11 through 13, Paul's writing to them. He says, for it has been reported by Chloe's people that there are quarreling among you. Um, one says, what do I mean? One says that I follow Paul. One says I follow Apollos, which is another teacher, a Christian teacher. One says I follow Cephas or Peter, the Apostle Peter. Another says I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So, like, we might not do that to that ex- extent, but we kind of do it in our lives. Like, we have our favorite teachers or celebrities or politicians. Like, oh, everything John Calvin says is right on. Everything's perfect. I follow him no matter what. Or MacArthur or Francis Chan or maybe a certain politician. They can do no wrong. And we can become, become divided in the church when our preferences and our likes kind of overshadow uh, our main purpose and who we actually follow. So we want to keep in proper perspective that Jesus is the one who saved us. Like, none of these other pastors saved you by dying for your sins. No politician saved you. No celebrity saved you. Um, So our favorite pastors or theologians, we must be careful not to get so attached to Christian pastors or politicians or celebrities that we lift them up to a level of importance that we're never, they were never meant to obtain. And that's what Paul's kind of addressing there. And it can cause divisions in our, in our church. Again, he says in 1 Corinthians 3, 3, he's talking to them, you are still in the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So again, he's a, these are the things he's leading up to the passage that we're getting to. So there's a fleshly, worldly kind of behavior that they're in. And they came from an idol-worshiping, pagan society in Corinth. They had, I think, thousands of slaves there. They had cult prostitutes that at temples. So these people are, were really entrenched in that. That was their life, and they're saved out of that. But, you know, old habits die hard, and you can carry the flesh rises up, and we can treat people as we used to in our old life. All right, and so that brings us to 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. And again, I'm going to read some passages, and then I'll stop and make some points as we go through it. It says in uh, verse 12 of chapter 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So the first thing that Paul talks about when he gets to the body and what it is and the members and addressing this church, and throughout this whole passage, it's, uh, what, 19 verses, he says body 20 times. And then he says members or member nine times. So he's really trying to get it across to them. He uses the human body as an illustration over and over and over. He's trying to tell them you guys are connected over and over, remind them, you're not individuals in the same way you were before. So and he, on, in this verse, with the Greek slave and Jews and slave and free, he's telling them a person's ethnicity or their past are no longer the greatest identifier in their life. A person's identity, their 
is no longer their person's ethnicity or past or what they've done or the job they had is no longer their greatest identifier. Christ is. We are all now in Christ by spirit. Like I said, Corinth was a full was full of idol worship. It's called prostitution. There was thousands of slaves. It was a pagan city. And once these people believed in Christ, they are unified in Christ's body. So the worldly titles and positions are no longer their greatest identifier. Being a child of God is now who they are. And so the same goes for us. Maybe you don't have the highest position out in the world, in the world's eyes. Maybe you have a lowly job um, that the world sees. Or maybe you make, you know, maybe you could be on the other end. Maybe you make a lot of money or have an important position in government or in commerce and business. Um, But in Christ, we all have the same value. Those things aren't what define us, but being part of Christ is. Christ died for our sins and paid the price with his blood to save us. So we are his now and we are loved. And individually, we all have different backgrounds, like socially, culturally, economically. We have different families, ethnicity, but under God and by his spirit, we are brought together as one body. So we don't, have, we, uh, don't all have to be the same to be joined together. It's God's spirit that unites us. It's his spirit that we're participants in, that saves us, that makes us one body. So, and again, so, there, uh, so there's no need for thinking like, oh, I'm not rich. Um, I can't be a part of this body. Like, oh, this church is a lot of rich people. I dress super nice. Uh, I don't fit in there. Uh, or, you know, I'm not the same ethnicity maybe as the majority of people there. So I can't, you know, I just need to find some other place. Or if you're a Christian and joined to Christ, then you're joined to the body. And the body is diverse. It's different. And that's a good thing. That's how God wants it. So as we move on to verse 14, we'll read through 14 to uh, 20. It says, what verse? Yeah, there we go. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be this, the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, and this part is important, God arranged the members in the body. God arranged the members, each one of them as he chose. So if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I just We need to focus on that part really well. Like God arranged the body. You're not here by accident. Um, you might, you know, some there's stories of people, oh, I kind of just looked up a church and I found this place. It's like, yeah, that is great. But also, God was leading you. He leads us a lot of times when we, we don't even know it. So he's the one that's the author of his body and arranges us and puts us in a place where we can help someone and they can help us and we can work together and worship together. So God has placed you in the specific role you have in the body. Your position in the body is not by accident. In God's wisdom, he has placed you as a member in his body, which will be best for you, the other members, and for his glory. That's what we're doing here today. We ought not to say, hey, well, I'm not a pastor, so I'm not really a vital part of the body. Um, you know, there's no verse. He's, uh, it doesn't say that, you know, I'm not vital because I'm not a pastor. We're not, call- we're not all called to be pastors. 
but we're all members of vital roles. You know, maybe, oh, I'm not on the stage, so I'm not that vital. I'm just kind of here. No, that's not what the Bible says. It says you are vital. You are important. The visibility of you in church service doesn't determine your value. So, and also, if you're feeling disconnected from the body, um, there might be, it might be because there's a position God is calling you to, but you're a little hesitant to step into it. There's maybe a function and a, a place you can take in the body of Christ in church that, you know, it's out of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, but it takes a step of faith to be obedient to God's call. So that's also part of it. If you're feeling a little disconnected, um, there are things you can do. Um, but, you know, search your heart. We pray about it and see if God's calling you in a dif- different direction of service or how you interact with people in the church. So the church is Christ's body connected to him. It is a life we participate in, not an event we attend. This is something I think in American churches is kind of, it blurs the line a little bit. Sometimes it's, oh, we attend church. It's a, another thing we go to, like going to the movie theater or to a baseball game. It's something that we just go to attend. But God says that it's something we participate in. It's we're a living part of the church, of the body. Church is Christ's body connected to him. It's a life we participate in, not a work, uh, not an event we attend. Being a member of the, of the body is about being connected to Christ and his spirit to the members of the body. That's what connects us together. Um, let's see here. Yeah, so the body, it's meant to be connected to each other. We see, like, as we go around in our life, if we see someone with a missing limb, say an arm, we know something out of the ordinary has happened. You know, it's not a normal occurrence to see that. The body has suffered a traumatic injury. When we hear of Christians... Possibly we hear them say sometimes that ah, I don't need to be a part of the church. Like that's that's an out of ordinary thing to say in, in as the Bible says it. Like ah, I don't need to go to church. It's not that big of a deal. But that's being disconnected. It's the body is missing something. And so is the member when that happens. So um, and it could be a sign that um, could be a sign of some emotional hurt that has happened in that person when someone says, like, oh, I don't really need to be a part of the body. Maybe something happened when they were there that wants them to detach. So as the church, I think we need to reach out to those people and care for them because they're still a member of the body, even if they're detached, if something happened like that. So we need to care for one another, and Paul speaks about that later in the passage as well. And just to kind of bring this home and make us think about, like, the detached members and um, there's a phenomenon called uh, phantom limb syndrome. You guys have ever heard about that? It's where it's a condition where a, pitch, a patient experiences sensations, whether painful or otherwise, in a limb that does not exist. And typically, it has a chronic force, and it happens between 80 to 100 percent of amputees that they feel this sensation at some point that a member is missing on occasion, and they feel like it's there but it's not. And that's how connected and valuable the members of the body are. And I think it's similar in the church. We've just gone through a season of isolation. The past two years through COVID, um, members of the body were scattered, separated. We're all in our homes, disconnected physically from each other. We're using the Internet to try to stay connected. Um, and But when society has gone back to normal, in a sense, where we can gather together, sometimes the m- members haven't come back to the church. They've gotten used to the disconnected. 
but the church and being here through the whole thing, I can testify that their presence, we remember their presence, the people that were here before that, and we feel their absence, just like the body would. So just again, it's to say that you are valuable. Even if you're, you feel detached, like your, your presence here during a worship service on Sunday or Wednesday night, like it does add, it adds, it encourages each other. So it's very important that we stay together, we continue to meet, and we feel that absence and we miss the members that aren't here. The other side of this is that um, when we see an arm detached from the body, we know something has gone horribly wrong. It's not the place, it's not in the place it was created to be. A member of Christ's body living detached and disconnected is abnormal and unhealthy for the member and for the body. So that's not how God created his church. He wants us together. And so it's not helpful for, for anybody, e- either part. So neither the member of the body can function properly in the way it was created. And, um, yeah, it can't function correctly if it's disconnected. So, and then I kind of touched on a little bit. There's an aspect of church culture, too. In America, we can kind of slip into that consumer mindset. Um, you know, there's Amazon. Amazon Prime, you can get something, every th- everything in a day, basically. You know, you don't like your experience at one store, you can go to another store and find what you need. You know, you have a bad experience at a restaurant, you can write a review and speak your mind and go somewhere else. Because those are there to serve you. So if they're not serving you, our culture says, hey, move on. Even with relationships, hey, if it's not serving you anymore, you've been married 15 years or something, and you see it in, like, uh, celebrity culture all the time. It just not the same feeling isn't there anymore and you move on so that's something that can slip in to the church also viewing yourself as a consumer and the church as a means fulfilling you is not necessarily biblical like if you go to a certain church like or you church hop like i go to this church for the preaching i go to this church for the worship i go to this church for the the children's programs hopping around and just getting what you need from a church without participating is not something that God calls us to do. The church is supposed to nourish its members, but the members are supposed to nourish each other as well. And you have to be connected consistently to do that. So, and, yeah, so it's, I'm not saying it's all of us. It's just it can slip into our mindset. If we start attending church for the sole purpose of how the church can serve us, or um, we have a misunderstanding of the church's purpose and their role in the church, our role in the church, a person operating this way is more like a parasite than a member. Like we all know bodies and or animals can get parasites. Parasite is an organism that lives in or on an organism of another species. It hosts and benefits by deriving nutrients at the other's expense. That can kind of, uh, that's a consumer mindset. We go to where we can get fed all the time and we don't look to feed or serve or take care of anyone else. And that's, that's a danger we have in America because of our culture, the consumer culture sometimes. So if we know someone or if we are someone that floats around churches um, with the desire to gain something from a church, and then once that starts, stops happening, we'll move on to another one. Um, I don't see God calling us that to that through his word. He wants us to be a consistent, connected member of the body. He, that's what he wants from us. That's what he's called us to and saved us into. So we can go back to the verse, verse 21. We can move on to reading 
the verses here, verse 21 to 26, we'll read. And it says, Paul, again, he's going to mention body again, just like I've been. I'm almost the entire sermon. Body, body, body. He's just drilling us into our heads here. The eye cannot say that the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. And here's this phrase again that we saw in the last passage. But God has so composed the body. God is the author of the body. We're not here by accident. God has so composed the body, giving greater greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, they all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So whatever your place in the body of Christ, resist that temptation to think you are not needed or aren't valuable. Your presence in the body of Christ is necessary. Christ gave you into his body, not away from it. He didn't save you to be on your own. He saved you to be together with other believers. He doesn't want you to be isolated or separated from other members of his body. And the gifts and strengths God has given you are needed to encourage and build up the weaknesses of the other members and vice versa. So just as the human body is dependent on its members to function properly, so the members of the church are dependent on each other as well. Allow God to use you to minister to another member of the body and for them to minister to you. You know, sometimes it's just easier to not, you know, get to know someone on that level where they can minister to you or you can minister to them. Um, You can just come and go, and it gets a little messy when we open up and talk about some things and pray for each other. Um, but that's God calls us to get a little messy in that regard and care for each other. Um, let's see. So again, this phrase, but God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And that part of that verse, it reminds me of Romans 12, uh, verse 10. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So we need to, that's what we're called to do as we're uh, participating in the body. Let's honor one another. Let's encourage one another. Um, As Christ has honored and encouraged us by saving us and loving us, we are to do the same thing. And it says in 1 Peter 4.8, Above all, keep keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. I looked into that a little bit more. Multibu- multitude of sins, it covers it, as in it looks over offenses. When you're in relationships with people, when you love them, you look over offenses, you look over faults, you don't uh, you know, try to drive those home or hold on to those because you love them. So you're less easily offended when you love someone. It covers, it protects each other as you love. And again, so we'll go to verse 27. I'm doing in time. Oh, maybe I gotta repeat things a couple, <laughs> a couple more. I just have to start speaking even slower. Uh, so, verse 27, it says, "Now you <laughs> are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. 
who God has appointed. There's that phrase again. I think in each of these passages it says God arranged or God chose, God appointed in the church. First apostles, these are the positions, these service roles. Second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are, are, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I'll show you a still more excellent way. Again, so he talks about the members. Are all the members an eye? And where would be the hearing? Are all the members feet? No. So he's relating those members to the gifts that they're having trouble with. Um, in this church, it's like, oh, I prophesy, so I'm greater, and I... I'm better than you, basically, they're saying. Or I speak in tongues more than you, so I'm better than you. Um, and the church service, people were standing up. They're all talking at the same time. They're all trying to use their gifts all at the same time. And they're putting each other down because maybe they don't have the same gifts. And so he's relating those members. We all can't be prophets. We all can't, are not, I don't know, can't, but are not, uh, you know, do miracles. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you're less valuable. Because God has given you the gift that he wants you to have to help the body and help the members. So we see again in verse 28 that God has appointed the different positions and gifts in the body of Christ. He's appointed those. We find our usefulness and fulfillment in the body when we rest in the gifts and the positions God has appointed us. Not in the positions or gifting we think we should have or that we want, we can be tempted to think, oh, I wish I could do that, like that person does in the church. Oh, I wish I could sing like Daniel. He sings crazy. Both of them, they sing great. Oh, I wish I could do that. Or, oh, I wish I could preach like Pastor Tom. Or, you know, I wish I could serve like this person. We need to focus on what God has given us and called us to. What can you do, no matter how big or small? God just wants you to be obedient with what he's given you, whether it's big, small, why you think it's not important or not. If it's something you can do for God, God is wants you to do it for him. We can be tempted to think we wish we could do something in the church or in life that someone else can do or has a gifting that we don't have. This type of thinking can keep us from discovering what our own gifts are from God. When we're comparing each other all the time, you know, we're looking at them and seeing what they have. We're not being grateful for maybe what we have and what God has given us or recognizing what we have. So it can keep us from discovering our own gifts from God and, uh, and what we're able to do, even if it's not on the level of usefulness as someone else. Like if Pastor Tom was always thinking, oh, like, um, what did he like, uh, R.C. Sproul? He was like, oh, man, I wish I had a ministry like him. Oh, the Legionnaire ministry. Man, uh, I don't know if I should even preach anymore. I'm never going to reach that level. Well, that w- we want to be blessed by him every Sunday, by his preaching. Because he's seen at what God has given him and his role and his responsibilities in the body. And if that discourages him not to want to serve, that's not what God wants. He wants, to s- wants us to serve where he's placed us and do the good we can uh, with the gifts he's given us. So just because you might not be a part of the body that is on the platform or more visible does not mean you are less valuable. 
Your value is attached to being a member of the body, not to which member you are. I'll say that again. Your value is attached to being a member of the body, not to the which member you are. Okay? Christ died for all of us, and he saved us. That's infinitely valuable. That means he values you enough to save you for his glory. So whatever usefulness you have is for his glory, and he doesn't love you less or more because of the position you're in. A person's heart is very valuable, but it's unseen. Most of the important things in the body that keep us alive are unseen. The internal organs, the kidneys, you know, your stomach, your heart, your lungs. I think it's similar in the church. The things done in secret have a big impact on the health of the church. The prayers made throughout the week, you guys praying for Pastor Tom for each other throughout the week in your daily prayers. The financial giving, like we saw today. We don't see how much you give or what you give exactly. Well, I don't. Um, maybe someone who do does, but um, it, it helps them. It helps the other part of the body, and it's important. Um, Sunday morning during the uh, and during the week, the financial giving, the conversations between members before and after service or midweek through maybe a text or a phone call or Bible study. Those things aren't seen by everybody, but they're very important to the health of the members. Um, so there, the these unseen things are what build up the church, not just the worship and preaching on Sunday. So you are valuable. And God placed you in his body and you are saved into his body. And so Paul, he, again, that phrase that we saw in this passage about God appointed, God chose. Uh, Paul says that throughout the rest of the book in the beginning. In 1 Corinthians 1-2, he says, called to be saints together. You're saved and you're called to be saints together. 1 Corinthians 7-17 says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him and to which God has called him. Live the life God has called you to. Part of that is being in the church, being part of the church. And 1 Corinthians 12:18 that we saw earlier, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So we, we realize that God is the one who cleaned us, who brought us here. So just because you're, you're not a preacher or a musician or some highly vis visible position, like I said, the church uh, in the church does not make you any less of a member. God chose you. So it wasn't your parents or luck or skill or talent that got you in a position as a member of this body. It was God. He's the one who put you here. It's not by accident that you're here. And so as members of the body, we're called to live in harmony with each other. And to do this, we need to be imitators um, of each other as we imitate Christ. So I have some verses about that in 1 Corinthians 11. One, it says, be imitators of me as I am Christ. I am of Christ. 1 Corinthians 4, 15, 16 says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So I urge you then, be imitators of me. Philippians 3.17 says, Brother, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. So they say imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And 
Paul is telling us, hey, if you see someone that's Christ-like, imitate them. Try to imitate Jesus as you read, as you learn about him. Imitate how he loves, how he serves. And that's, what, that's another part of the body. We, being together, we learn things from other people that maybe you couldn't learn any other way. So I have this little illustration. Um, it's a video. Um, yeah, there it is. It's called a murmuration. Have you guys ever heard of that? A group of birds. Well, it's going to talk a little bit about it. And so you can play that, Erica, when you're ready. Yeah. Because the birds try to copy their neighbor's flight as close as they can. So if one bird moves, the next one does. And so on and so on. This explains why you rarely see them crashing into each other. No one knows exactly why this happens, but one theory is they do it to baffle any predators, like sparrowhawks or peregrines, who lock onto one bird and try and grab it out of the sky. Can you imagine trying to do that in all that visual confusion? Dancing pattern. So yeah, you can yeah you can leave that picture up for a second. Yeah, that video is I I've seen that a couple years ago and it's just crazy. I didn't know that part about they imitate each other. That's how there's, they work together and they don't crash into each other. There's hundreds or thousands of birds in there. And they don't, it doesn't seem like they have one leader that they're following. They're each following each other and are aware of each other. And are, there's no division in them. They're working together without even really knowing it. They're just copying each other so they don't run into each other. Um, and that's what I think these that can illustrate what these verses are saying. As we imitate Christ, and we imitate each other as we're imitating Christ, we're going to love each other well. We're going to serve each other well. The divisions that we have with people can begin to be healed and mended and not happen as much because we're imitating Christ, and each of us are imitating each other as we see them imitating Christ. <laughs> so it's a kind of a domino effect. And also another part of that, that I thought was really cool is the importance, it shows the importance of being connected also. And we see this in School of Fish also that group together to baffle predators or zebras. Zebras all huddle in a group because their pattern mixed together and it's hard to pick out just one, one animal. And so them staying together also protects them from danger and predators. And so we see in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, lion seeking someone to devour. So that's another part of being part of the body. If we're a lone ranger Christian, if we're separated, you know, we're not going to be as strong as if we're together. And those, just like in the animal kingdom, are the ones that predators seek to attack. They're weaker, they're alone, there's no one to help them. And that can happen to us as Christians as well, when we're disconnected, um, when we don't have any relational uh, connection with people in the church, we're alone, we're isolated, we're in danger of being attacked. So staying connected makes us less vulnerable to attack from the devil, as the video in the, uh, of the birds protect, are protected by the predators. Predators look for weak and isolated prey. 
If we do not stay connected to the body, the church, we are vulnerable to that kind of attack. As uh, we're getting closer to the end here, there's one aspect also of the church that I'd like to talk about. It's it, most of it is in Ephesians, and Ephesians 5.23, and it, Paul talks about the mystery of the church. Again, so he's explained the church is like the body. It's the body of Christ. It's we're members of Jesus and each other. And he also says there's this mystery to it, and it relates to marriage. Um, it says Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself the Savior. So Christ is the head of this body. He's the one that decides. He's the one that's leading it. And it's he's also the Savior of this body. And later in that, in chapter 5, in verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, have having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So God has saved us with his body, and he's cleansing us from our sins. He's uh, refining us. He's sanctifying us as we're together as his church. And later in uh, verse 29 of that chapter, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. That's what Christ does to us. He doesn't hate his body. He loves his body. He takes care of it. He nourishes it just as Christ does to the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall, he goes into marriage again, therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So God is saying in some mysterious way, we are joined, you know, spiritually we're joined to Christ, and it cannot be separated. So you can't be separated from Jesus. In this mysterious way, we are one with him in a way that we can't fully understand. So Paul is saying here that just as a husband and a wife are joined together as one flesh, the church is joined to Christ as one. That's how intimate the relationship is between Christ and his church. When we join together as Christ's body on Sunday morning, Christ sanctifies us and nourishes us and loves us, and we, in return we love and worship him. So there's another reason why Sunday morning is uh, the worship is so important. Like we worship God throughout our life, how we live. We worship him in private with maybe singing, Bible reading, prayer. But there's something special and mysterious about when we gather together as a church and worship. The individual members of Christ's body joining together in his presence to praise and have intimate relationship with him and his body. And so that's that's a spirituality that's happening in church. And so the last verse of 1 Corinthians 12, 31, so Paul's talked about like the fighting, the spiritual gifts, you know, I'm better than you because I can do this, you're worse than me because you can't do it, all this stuff. And they want more spiritual gifts. They want to be more powerful and they want more faith and they want, you know, to know all mysteries, this church does. And so Paul ends this whole section about talking about spiritual gifts and the body. He says in verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. So like preaching or like understanding the Bible, um, serving. And I will show you a still more excellent way. So he doesn't discourage them from wanting spiritual gifts. He just says there's an even better way. And so he goes into that. So he's going to show them the more excellent way. And so I want to end... I think it will be right for us to end in uh, with this passage, and we all know it, 
for the most part, I think. And so the more excellent way that Paul is talking about is love. So that's the last verse of chapter 12. The first verse of chapter 13 is, um, we read it during wedding ceremonies all the time, husband and wife. What is love? The, but the uh, love is patient, love is kind, that whole passage. But it's actually in the context of this chaotic, selfish, gifted church that is in division. So the context of that passage is past, uh, chapter 12, the body of Christ treating each other with love. So I'm going to read, uh, it's only 13 verses, so it's not very long. I'm going to, and we know it, but I think it's, it's powerful to reread it when we know all that of what's going on. So chapter 13, verse 1, it says, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, we all want that, we all hope for that, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easel, easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it al always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, all these things are fighting about, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. So when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man or a woman, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part but then I shall know fully, and even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So Paul, he's addressing the Corinthian church, the fleshly ways, the division. They're suing each other, taking each other to court. They're, you know, at the Lord's Supper that we had today. People are getting drunk. On They actually drank wine during that time. That's what they had. And... They're getting drunk and just hoarding the food. They didn't understand what the Lord's Supper meant. So he's addressing them and saying, hey, yeah, you can have your spiritual gifts, but one day they're going to pass away. You're not going to need them anymore. They're not eternal, but love is eternal. And love is something we can do wh whatever gifts we have. But love is what we can do. It's a gift that we can give. So the spiritual gifts they desire and boast in and cause division are meaningless if the motivation for using the gifts is not love. Gifts are not eternal, but love is. And that's any of us can love. And we all do love. And we can love each other, no matter what gifts we have. So let us, each of us, as Christ has loved us, and in fellowship in the Spirit, we will grow and build each other up in the church. So that's what we can do. No matter what gifts you have, you can love. The church needs you to love its members. It needs you to pray for them. 
then you need the church to pray for you and its members to pray for you and be with you. We can't do it on our own. God doesn't want us to do it on our own. And yeah, so that's, that's what we can do. We can love. Everyone can do that. So let's stand and we'll pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to hear from your word. Um, 